Hello and welcome back to Legacy of Rape Culture. This is episode four and we are talking about toxic masculinity. Now this topic is huge, but I think we had a really good conversation to start the conversation. I am very thankful that my guest for today's episode responded to a Facebook post because that is literally how we got him on the show. And it's super crazy that that's how, but hey, it is what it is and that's how life is. I have to put, I think it is only fair that I put a disclaimer in here. So when we were recording this episode, I got a notification on my phone that the late and great Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. Now she is one of, if not the biggest heroes in my life and I look up to that woman so greatly. And uh, to say that it shook me when I read that, is an understatement. So if there is any weirdness towards the end of this podcast, that is why I'm pretty sure I was able to chop it up so that you couldn't notice. But if you can, that is why I am all about full transparency on this podcast. So I thought it was only fair that I share that little tidbit for you. Now, I have three rules. They're not really rules, but I hope you learn something. I hope you unlearn something. And I hope you share it and have start the conversation with your family and friends. Now, here's the episode. Hello, and welcome back to Legacy of Rape Culture. I am your host, Tia, and I am joined with Maxwell. Maxwell, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi there. Uh, So my name is Max. I'm 26. I have a master's degree from the University of Arkansas. I'm currently involved in plant science and genetics. Uh, I'm actually a blueberry breeder full-time. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, just right outside of the Twin Cities. Currently, I live down in Georgia, and I'm moving back up to the Midwest here shortly. And I guess just a quick fact about myself, I'm very passionate about my animals, and I love growing plants. Awesome. That is very fun. So our topic today is a fun one. It's toxic masculinity. Uh, Do you want to just go over a little bit about like your experience, what you know on the topic before we get into the, the meat of everything? Sure. Yeah. And of course, being a a male from the Midwest, I've been exposed to quite a bit of toxic masculinity growing up. I grew up in kind of a religious home, uh, like strictly Lutheran. And so, you know, a lot of those religious views where you're supposed to be the tough male and, you know, you're not supposed to show vulnerability and cry and, you know, be kind of lovey-dovey. It's just not that kind of culture. Um, And I come from a predominantly German background as well. So, you know, they're also known to be a little bit more cold than certain other people. So, um, yeah, and uh, I'd suffer myself with some anxiety and depression issues. And so having that and uh, growing up with toxic masculinity in, in that sense, it's been quite a challenge myself as an adult. Yeah, I love that you brought up the German thing because I am very German as well. And I have... 12 aunts and uncles. I have six uncles. Um, and I saw a lot of that in my family, like the toxic masculinity. And they always they always said like, well, Germans don't cry. Well, Germans don't do this. And I was like, I don't know if we can generalize a whole <laughs> population of people like that. But it is very like in the Midwest, that is very like, if you're German, it's very like, this is the certain way. You're cold. You don't show emotions. So I like that you brought that up. 
Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't just myself that felt that way too. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, were you in any like sports growing up? I was. I played baseball all growing up. Um, I think from the time I could hold a bat until I turned 18 and I couldn't play ball leagues anymore. But I played rugby when I was in college. And I mean, talk about a toxic masculine sport. I mean, it's just a bunch of bros drinking beer and trying to have a good time and you know, as many women as possible and don't show any type of weakness. And, you know, you're supposed to be the toughest guy out on the try, you know, try, sorry, that's what they call the field. And so it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it was quite an experience, but I also played some football growing up too. So I was just surrounded by it. (laughs) Right. And so I was in track, um, which is a co-ed sport. So I saw a lot of pressures put on the male athletes of like, well, like if I fell, which I did a lot, they'd be like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you good? But like if some, like if a male fell, they'd be like, just brush it off. And I was like, I mean, he still could be hurt. (laughs) So it's interesting to me that like the sports dynamic of like, you need to be tough all the time. And I do think that is changing a little bit. I have a couple friends that are coaches and they try to teach emotional, strong, not just like physically strong, like you have to make sure that your mental health is good. And I wonder how that would have been if we were in high school, because I'm 26 too. So that it would be interesting to see if that coaching style was when we were younger, like how we would be now, if that makes sense. I totally understand. Yeah. Because you said you, you suffer with anxiety. If like they taught you how to be emotionally strong and how to deal with your emotions, that might look different for you. I think so as well. Um, you know, coaches, especially that it was something, somebody that I looked up to extensively. Um, you know, my parents divorced at a really young age when I was five and, uh, my mom put a big financial strain on my dad. And so he worked a lot. Um, not, you know, of course it wasn't his own fault, but he had to do what he had to do to pay the bills and put food on the table. So he really wasn't around for me to talk to. And I was an only child growing up. So it was just kind of me, again, with the animals. Um, I had animals growing up. So it was just me talking to my animals is how I, uh, I guess, expressed my emotions. But, you know, I didn't really ever have a positive male figure that would uh, allow me to talk about my feelings with them. <laughs> right. Uh, so I looked at GQ did a, stat or a, a um, survey for men and women and non-binary people. But it said that 54% of men have seen their fathers cry, which I thought was super low, but I guess it doesn't, like, it doesn't surprise me. Have you seen your father cry? I have on actually multiple occasions. So I love that. My favorite question to ask men, which I don't know why this started. It started in undergrad. When was the last time you cried? And I love seeing the responses because a lot of men, like I went to school in Bemidji. So that's a very <laughs> small town, rural place. And a lot of the student population there is, not to say country, but there's a lot of them. And a lot of people got offended by that question, which I found very interesting and made me want to ask more. But yeah, so I'll, I guess I'll ask you, when's the last time you cried? Oh, geez. Yesterday? Like... <laughs> <laughs> when uh, I just sat and I realized that my dog had probably uh, had to go, had to undergo another surgery. So I uh, kind of broke down and sat down and 
had myself a good little cry. You know, sometimes it helps. I totally agree. Now my question for you, because that brings up, so my uncle, he was very close with his dog and he is a very like, not toxic masculine, but he's very masculine. And when his father passed away, he did not cry. At least he didn't show anyone that he cried. But when his dog passed away, he he couldn't hold it in. So I always wonder if there's like a disconnect with like animals and like, it's okay no matter what gender you are to cry over a pet because like pets are everyone's best friend, especially men. I mean, that's the men's be- or man's best friend is a title on dogs for a reason. But I, I always wonder where or why it's okay to show emotion for animals, but not people. It's yeah. I, it's I, fascinating. I, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting. And uh, I will say like the biggest weakness with my father is he has a, a weakness for animals as well, you know, and I, I guess I've seen him cry more about losing an animal than um, we've lost a couple loved ones over the years. And, uh, you know, I haven't really seen him shed a tear but you start talking about an old dog that we had and all of this, you know, I've seen him cry. And I mean, he cried when I got my master's degree. So don't get me wrong. Like he does cry over humans too. Right. Um, But, and I will say my pops is actually my best friend now um, that I moved out and we've gotten a lot closer. And I think he's kind of gotten a little bit more tame on his, on his toxic masculinity. You know, he's been a lot, um, more supportive than his older years. Um, that's awesome. I, I don't know if that's because I'm out of the house and he doesn't feel like we have that connection anymore. So he calls just to talk and ask right. me how stuff's going and, you know, but yeah, shoot, if my dad died, I'd lose it. I'd, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to hold it in, man. Uh, I'd be a mess for a week at least, probably a month. So, I wonder, especially with the older generation, because my uncle's fairly older, the like don't show weakness and the vulnerability like men don't cry was so pushed on them I wonder if they feel like they need to be strong in so many aspects that they kind of let loose with animals because they're like finally I can show some emotion and people will understand because I feel like it's a universal thing that like pets like crying over pets is is seen as okay no matter who you are yeah yeah if, if men are like okay finally I can show emotion and it be acceptable because like I mean, I feel like it would be acceptable if you cried at a funeral, but like toxic masculinity says, like, don't be weak. That shows weakness, even though I, I find that as bullshit, but that's just me. <laughs> I agree. No, I, I 100% agree. But uh, I will say, though, is like my dad and his dad are not very close. And I, I couldn't say with confidence that if my dad's dad, if my grandpa died, I'm not sure my dad would cry because of his upbringing. And um, my gramps was also pretty mean to my dad growing up. I've heard some horrible stories. So, you know, there may be a good reason to that. So your your uncle may have had a similar (laughs) experience to where his dad was very cold, especially I'm assuming he came from a very German background as well, even more so than yourself. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it may have just been that whole, he doesn't think dad loves him and he doesn't love his dad kind of thing too. You never know. That is very true. Cause like, I mean, my grandfather passed away when I was fairly young, but the memories that I remember of him, he was super cold. 
So like, I could only imagine how his own chill. And he was nice to me. Like he showed me love, but it was still cold. <laughs> so yes, I could yes. only imagine what he did to his children. German love, right? <laughs> right. Very much so. Very much so. Another thing that I find very interesting, you, you obviously touched upon it a little bit, was a lot of the articles that I found on toxic masculinity talk about health and mental health and how toxic masculinity is really damaging to men. And like one article that I read said like men, their lifespan is five years less than women. And it's almost directly correlated to masculinity or toxic masculinity traits, which I find super crazy. (laughs) And why I don't think like, if you know that your life is going to be five less years than a woman, why wouldn't you change some of those things? Like yeah, <laughs> what? Yeah. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a lot of it is like like risky behavior, but a lot of it is men don't show weakness. So like if they're sick or if they feel like pain in their body, they're like, no, 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 I'm a man. It's fine, and don't go seek medical treatment. And that's where where you see like men when they get diagnosed with cancer, they're more likely to have a stage three, stage four, unlike women they tend to get like, they're like, oh, something's wrong with my body. I'm going to go get it checked out. Now, this is not the case for everyone. A little bit of a generalization. But it's crazy to me to think that like, it's genuinely affecting their mental and physical health. Because like, especially with mental health, there is no one is like, hey, men, go get seek help because it's like that's the weakness thing and i have a statistic here somewhere i think it's like three and a half times yeah in the u.s men are 3.5 times more likely to die by suicide than women that is a crazy number and like all the people i know that have passed away from suicide is our men and i know quite a few thinking back all the people that i knew in high school and you know since they've all been males i don't know one female that has committed suicide yeah, so I um, have a, a loved one that passed away for suicide, and he was male. And so I go to, like, a support group. So, like, that's the only reason I know of women, because there's I think there's two members that have loved ones that were women. But if it was just – if I didn't have that, yeah, it's all men. And, like, the statistics, I guess, show that, like, men pick more permanent solutions. Women do pill swallowing. Well, if you catch them – after they swallowed it in a certain time, they can get treatment. Men choose more quote unquote violent ways like gunshot or jumping off a bridge or something like that where there's not really much you can do after the act happens. But it is more men. And I think there's this term that I've never heard of, which I find very interesting that I've never heard of, but it's called the man box. Have you ever heard of this? Okay, so I'm not the only one, but it's just kind of like the box that men have been placed in. Two men, uh, scholarly men, came up with the term, and it was just like all the things that are seen as like this toxic masculinity are like part of this box, and it's really hard for men to get out of this box. And if you don't like fit into this box, there's a lot of not feeling manly enough or not whatever and so they take 
these drastic measures because they don't feel like they fit in or they don't feel like they're man enough. So they do something violent towards themselves or others. So a couple of things about the um, what's inside the mailbox is women and girls are objects and property of men. Boys and men are less likely to openly express emotions. Boys and men should not uh, show fear or weakness. Boys and men should not act like a girl. Boys and men should be decisive and not ask for, offer, or accept help, which I find that one very prevalent in a lot of the men that I know is it's super hard for them to ask for help. I have to interject for a second. That is my absolute favorite one because <laughs> anytime we were in the grocery store, or in a store, I was with my dad and he couldn't find something. He would absolutely refuse to ask anybody where anything was. And if I'd go ask for help, he'd get all mad at me and yell at me once we got in the car. Like I made him look like an idiot or whatever. Like, what? What do you mean? They work here. How, can, how can't you ask? You're wasting time. You know? Right. It's literally their job. They're there to help you. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I find that like, I feel like I was on a road trip with like my, some of my family members and we completely got lost. And my cousin's like, I will not ask for help. I will not ask for directions. And like our GPS like was not working. And I was like, so we're just going to drive around until we hopefully find the place? What do you mean? That, that's an always interesting one. So apparently that's part of the man box. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then aggression is equals, like equals dominance, which I found very interesting because in the Q or GQ survey, it said 72% of men have raised their voice to settle an argument. I don't like just because you yell that means you win. I that I that's so crazy to me. That's very high too. I will say I have never uh, risen an argument and it's ended or risen my voice in an argument and it's ended. I think rising my raising my voice causes the argument to escalate. If anything, you know, so <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, but if I don't know who took this survey, it was in done in 2019 and they pulled a thousand people but like older generations i think okay i i can kind of see that because i don't think it would like technically win the argument but if you were yelling at a woman i could see a lot of women 20 years ago just being like okay you're yelling i don't want it to get violent i'm just gonna shut up and as soon as you said the older generation that the violence is what struck in my mind and i was like yes beating your wife yep yep, yep that that of course the escalation of voice oh yes yes that makes sense and uh i've always told every partner i've had i i was taught from a very young age that you never lay a hand on a woman like that so maybe that's why the arguments always escalate <laughs> they know i will never i will never ever ever get that's <laughs> they feel comfortable being able to yell because if you yell it doesn't it's not gonna equal violence which i feel exactly. like it shouldn't you can have an argument you can get quote unquote like yelling heated but it never has to go violent there was a lot of like especially scholar articles about violence with toxic masculinity and i feel like we could obviously talk about that for days because there's just so much information and i do think that is kind of what people think of when they think of toxic masculinity is like the violent aspect of it which is super important to address 
but I think the vulnerability and stuff like that, I think that can, obviously that stems from the violence. Like you can't express your emotions. Obviously you have to, not saying violence is ever the key, but after a while it boils over and they don't know how to properly handle their emotions. So they go to violence, which is so sad to me that we have stinted the growth of so many people in our generation and generations past and probably present because I don't think toxic masculinity is going to go away overnight. Uh, I think the only way it will is just people slowly becoming aware of their actions and you know changing over time like myself you know coming from a very toxic masculine family and seeing the error in the ways and you know what it has done to a person like me into my adulthood and I don't want my kids to ever grow up like this you know I rather they don't have anxiety and depression issues like if I can help it you know right um, yeah I think teaching somebody to handle their emotions from a very young age and being able to express them openly is extremely important you know in uh, alleviating this extremely toxic masculine society that we have because a lot of the articles that are written are kind of not kind of they are by women there's a lot by men too, but I wanted to listen to podcasts about from a male's perspective. And I listened to one called Locker Room. And he was talking about how he doesn't believe in toxic masculinity. And I was like, okay, you're losing me, dude. And, and then he was like, I think the reason why I don't believe in it is because masculinity, if it's toxic, it's not masculine. And I was like, okay, I like that and then he started talking about like religious aspects which i was like okay you lost me again because not everyone falls under one religion and he was talking through the christian faith but it was interesting the the idea of because i think a lot of people especially males when they think of toxic masculinity they're like oh you're trying to take my masculinity away masculinity isn't inherently toxic there's just some traits that need to be addressed So what is your viewpoint of, because obviously you are a male, so like, do you get offended when people say toxic masculinity? Or do you think that like, as women, we're trying to take your masculinity away? No. See, I don't think that is all. I don't think about that at all. And I actually read uh, description, the Urban Dictionary description of toxic Mm. masculinity, um, where they basically say it was created by some something feminist i can't remember the exact terminology that they use but it was basically talking extremely negative about feminists where Mm -hmm. um, shouldn't all men technically be feminists if they want equal rights for females no that's i don't know that's how i am so i don't understand but um you know personally speaking i don't find anything offensive about talking about toxic masculinity because i think it is you know like there's this whole stigma that like we've talked about this entire time, guys need to be tough and they can't be vulnerable. Like why, what does that matter? You know, right. you, can still, you can still punch a dude in the face and cry later on, you know, like there's nothing, those two things don't go away. You know? Right. And so if your masculinity is coming from you being tough, you can still be tough and still be emotionally, I don't even want to call it weak, but I want to call it emotionally available. that's a better term I like Um, it and I I just think a lot of men are emotionally unavailable and they don't want to feel and they don't want to 
do a lot of these things because they find it to be girly or feminine or however you want to phrase it. You know, where I just think as long as you're comfortable with your sexuality, why, <laughs> why do you have to be afraid of showing a little bit of femininity? You know, like I love flowers. I love growing flowers. It's one of my favorite things to do. They're beautiful. You know, how many guys would call something beautiful or pretty? You know, very, very, very few. Right. Like, and I think it has a lot to do with that toxic masculinity. They're afraid to be, to say something is pretty and to say something is beautiful and to actually appreciate something in a, a, a different manner, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so I'm actually a teacher. I work with toddlers. So I work with like one to two year olds and I am also learning sign language. So I know a few words. Um, and one of the words that I know is beautiful. And so when I'm talking to my kids, no matter if they're what, like female or male, I say, you are beautiful. And I sign it. One of my one year olds said, no, I'm handsome. And I was like, how do you know that like you I was like no you're beautiful you can be beautiful too and he's like no handsome and I was like how does a one-year-old already know that being beautiful is not for him I was like what I, what <laughs> I would imagine a little boy went home and showed his parents what he learned and <laughs> dad probably looked it up on, on the internet and was like no no you are handsome not beautiful. Beautiful is for girls. Right. Where, where he should have said, yes, you are beautiful. You have a beautiful heart. Right. Like that. I, I was, I mean, I get kind of faced with a lot of toxic traits from the parents with the kids. Like we have bags, even though I guess they could be purses, but they're literally just grocery bags. And I had a father come in and was just like, hey, my kid cannot play with a purse and like ripped it out of his hand and gave it to a girl. And I was like, sir, those are grocery bags. Like what? And I was like, now I just want to get him a sparkly one because like him playing with a purse is not going to do anything to him. He literally is just putting his trucks in it. There's not anything wrong with kids playing with toys. And like one of my kids is the biggest princess fan. And I'm very thankful that his parents are okay with that because I know a couple other kids' parents that would not be. So it's very interesting to me to see the traits being pushed on such a young age because I guess I knew it happened, but seeing it is a little different, if that makes sense. Oh. 100%. Yes. Uh, my stepmom is actually a child care. My uh, dad's, yeah, of course, my stepmom, um, she's a child care provider as well and has been. We've been with her for shoot like 17 years and she's been one the entire time and so I've heard uh, basically everything that you are talking about right now and that is one of her biggest struggles is parents getting extremely irate over their male or female child liking toys for the other sex you know it's unbelievable you wouldn't think somebody would get so bent out of shape about their kid playing with a doll like they don't see sex until they're, I can't even remember what age. I... Yeah, they they don't care. And I guess like I'm at a Reggio Center, which is like earthy. We don't have a lot of plastic. So like, honestly, a lot of our toys in the standard of like what a stereotypical like gender toy is, we don't have any other than, I guess we have trucks and dolls. Those would be the only ones that you could kind of put a gender on. So it's interesting to me that when parents see a toy and they 
force a gender on it and they're like my kid can't play with this and it's like it's a puzzle my dude there's (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) there's a horse on it who cares like (laughs) right yes i have had like my first week at my new center uh, a dad said because he asked how his kid was and i said oh he had really bad listening today we probably should work on that and he was like well boys will be boys and (laughs) That is my that is my Achilles heel. I cannot handle when people say boys will be boys. And so I was like, excuse me? And this was the first time he's met me. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have been so, whatever. And he's like, what? And I was like, no. I was like, no matter what the gender of the child is, being able to listen and emotional maturity is important. And he was like, oh. oh. And then the next day, his wife made, me, made him apologize to me. Um, <laughs> and she was like no we'll we'll get him to listen it's okay um talking about the child maybe also talking about the husband who knows oh, yeah almost <laughs> yeah i feel like i face a lot of that and i am one to not no that will not stand in my classroom mm-mm, mm-mm. have you ever had the term like boys will be boys like used for you in your lifetime that you can remember not for myself, but my little brother. Um, I have a little brother who just turned 15, going on 18, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, his whole life, his dad, that term, boys will be boys. Anytime he's uh, acting mischievous or doing something he shouldn't, but his dad's not around very much. And him and my mom split off fairly early in the relationship. So poor kid hasn't had a lot of guidance, you know? And so yeah. uh, it's always just, Boys will be boys. Oofta. I... Yes. The only thing that I will say, like, boys will be boys, or I even say girls will be girls, is if, like, one of my kids finds a dead... Because we have um, a lot of toads in our playground for some reason. And they love to put the toads in their pockets. Oh, gross. (laughs) And then I will find it when I'm taking their coat off. And I'm like, really? And I'll be like, oh, whatever gender has done it that day. I'll be like, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. And I was like, that is the only term that I am acceptable of, like, doing something that just, like, a child should do. Not necessarily anything gendered. Like, (laughs) because it doesn't matter who does it. My girls do it and my boys do it. I don't know what their fascination with these toads are, but they have them. Kids will be kids, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Very See, much so. And I like that term better because then it's just all encompassing. And I mean, kids are little shit. We all know that. You know? <laughs> yes. I mean, they just are. They have great days and they have bad days. And yeah, yes, I, I hate to just rope a, a, a gender into that scope, you know? I, but yeah, kids. Will be kids, that's for sure. Yes, they will. Uh, I have a little sister who's uh, ten as well, so I was fairly old when these two were growing up, and so I, yep, I think I've had a very, very similar experience to yourself. One of the other things that I find very interesting that I feel like comes with like toxic masculinity is since the Me Too movement, the amount of men that are now quote unquote afraid of the workplace and. I kind of chuckle at it because it's because it's like this has been happening for years. Now people are just talking about it. If you're a decent human and don't sexually harass people, you don't have a problem. So I don't know why more people are or men are like increasingly worried about the workplace. But even in the 
GQ survey said 16% of men say that they feel less confident in the workplace, which I want to know what that means. And like confidence my, in what way? <laughs> and I was going to ask you a question. Did you mean that men felt uncomfortable in the workplace because of A, women were sexually harassing them, or B, because they were afraid of getting accused of sexually harassing a woman? I'm assuming the accused, but it doesn't actually say in the survey. Because okay. what I the thing that I've noticed is is like being accused of it. But it could be either one. It's not very descriptive. But I guess it is a low number, so I guess that's like good. But I I, I just still don't know what the less confident means. Like less confident to be yourself, less confident to like talk to your female coworkers. I wish it had more. Maybe they are less confident to talk to female coworkers because of being afraid of getting accused of maybe being too nice and uh, sex, maybe being taken as sexual harassment, but being too nice isn't sexually harassing. Right. Don't be touching women in ways you shouldn't. Right. I mean, I worked in a car dealership for I don't even know how long, not that long. And that is a primarily male dominated field. And the sales people, I think it was half and half, half women, half men, but there was a lot of old men and they would make such inappropriate comments. And I was like, and I would always call them out on it. They did not like me. I feel like they were probably the 16% that felt less confident because I called them out on it. And like, I'm sorry if I made you feel uncomfortable, but also I'm really not because maybe you shouldn't make those comments. I was 20. You are. I'm going to ask, are they making comments about coworkers or um, like guests coming into shop for cars? Usually it was like guests or it was directed towards me because like I was in, I never worked with the general population. So I literally could wear anything. And I usually wore just jeans and a sweatshirt because I was usually on the lot taking pictures of cars. So no one saw me. It didn't matter. Yeah. And then, but if I had something to do after work, I would usually dress like normal and not just in a sweatshirt. And they would always like comment on my appearance. And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> no, nope. I'm good. But you and, look nice today is great. That's all you need. Yeah. Right? And I would have taken that. And, like, I have very curly hair, and apparently these men have never seen curly hair on a white person. So they were very taken back when I wore my hair down. But, like, being like, hey, your hair looks nice, I would have been like, oh, my God, thank you. But they made it creepy. <laughs> and, like, one guy would always touch my hair, and so then I never wore my hair down. Oh, Don't touch me, please. That's so creepy. Yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. And, like, one guy, like, we have all our keys in, like, a locked closet. And I'm in that closet a lot because I have to take pictures of a lot of cars. I was in there, I think, trying to get, like, a Corvette keys or something like that. And he was just like, you're in the closet a lot. People are going to start talking about us. I was like, sir, you are 63. And so I was just like, ha, ha, ha. And then I ran out of the closet because I was very uncomfortable. Because it is a small closet. And he, like, always closes the door when he comes in. It's like, nope, mm-mm, sir, please stop. So if any of those things are happening to women and they are calling it out and now men are feeling less confident, I'm sorry. I don't feel sorry for you. No, no, me neither. I used to work in clothing sales, uh, both male and female. 
and it was commission based, so it was quite competitive. And um, you know, myself, I, I actually didn't like working with emails when I first started working there because I felt like I was going to say something wrong, you know, and I was worried about basically sexually harassing somebody and not knowing that I was doing it at the same time. You know, because you're supposed to tell people how things fit and, you know, guess their sizes and do stuff like that. But with certain women, if you guess things wrong or hand them something provocative or something like that, they may take it the wrong way. But after working there for about a year, it was almost like females would come in there and grab a decent looking male so they could have a male's perspective on how they actually look. Right. In a certain way, you know, it was the most bewildering thing to me. So I went from never working with females to like exclusively working with females, where they would come in and ask me to help them. You know, like it was unbelievable, and so it just kind of gave me a whole different spin on how to compliment a woman as well. You know, and not being weird about it and being gross too. You know, and I think a lot of guys they don't actually know how to compliment a woman. I do think it's interesting that like your work experience changed your opinion or changed your viewpoint. That's, I mean, that's very interesting. Oh, big time, big time. Um, and it was actually because of quite a few of my coworkers um, worked primarily female. I was like, I think one of three guys that worked there, and there were probably about twelve females that worked there as well, and. We were short emails one night, and there was a lot of guys working, and they had just coaxed me over there and basically walked me through how to do everything and kind of told me how to ask, how to ask and um, told me what to say and certain things. And I don't know, it just kind of became natural after that, especially when you're talking about feeding yourself, you know? And so basically the better things you say, the more stuff people buy, the more money that you make. So, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I loved it though. It's helped me quite a bit because I, I was doing that when I was uh, 20. So, probably the last six years for sure. So, do you have any last golden nuggets to share with us? I don't. I think we talked about a lot. I mean, like this topic could be probably talked about for years because there's it's just very complex and very broad um but i think we talked about a lot of good good stuff well i'm very thankful that you i think you commented on the post on facebook or so very thankful that that you commented she shared it same well thank you so much and that is the end of episode four thank you so much for listening to this important topic i know that i need to have more conversations with masculine people about this topic because if i'm being completely honest i don't know much about it i know what i've researched and that is it i am not in the man box so i am an outsider looking in and trying to figure it out So I am very, very thankful for this conversation. I wanted to do this episode and I'm very glad someone was willing to do it. Housekeeping, 
uh, check out my website at rapecultureis.com. I have a Facebook called Legacy of RC. Check it out. Links will be in the bio. And thank you for listening. The next episode will be coming out next week.